Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 534 on Tuesday, the 18th of July, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where one company claims the roof is on fire, we'll be discussing in the news that we have to fact check a lot of people, alas. In new new car news, we see that three is the magic number for one company. And in our recommendations, we include the story of a car you've probably never heard of. Ooh, tease. Mm. But straight into new news. And the government very proudly announced that there is a new law to make the rapid charging for EVs network 99% reliable. And including in this, uh, there will also be contactless payment on all rapid chargers. Well, sorry, if they're over eight kilowatts, they must offer Mm. contactless payments. So therefore you don't need to have an app or shouldn't need to have an app. Lots of noise about this, how fantastic the uh, UK government were when, in fact, the industry themselves put forward these proposals to make it easier for consumers. Yeah, this has come pretty much wholly from the charging networks themselves. Actually talking to each other and and putting together a package to say, well, this is what we need to do. Yes. As ever, the actual, the reliability rate is is important it's very important um, but obviously having enough of the right charges in the right place is actually even more important and that's going to be more of a challenge i think yeah but i say that every week at the moment so i'm not going to keep on repeating myself just to make clear though that if any companies or locations do not fulfill the requirements there can be a fine of up to ten thousand pounds for each unit that fails to comply there's a hefty kick if they don't mm. quite get it right. It's enough to focus the mind, but not enough to actually disable them. Yeah. It doesn't sound like much, but it is actually quite a lot. Mm. Um, it's just we think it doesn't sound like much in the terms of, oh, I don't know, uh, diesel gate type stuff. Yeah. But it's there, it's a start, and it's, it's enough to, when you've got thousands of charges, that does start to add up, you know. Yes. This is good news. For whoever came up with the idea, we don't care, but it is a, it's a good idea and uh, it should help us, the consumers, mm-hmm. be able to access the stuff we need to when we need to. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a good thing. Well done to the EV charging industry. Alan, do you want to move us on to the story about how uh, Britain is going to invest a lot of money? Which story is that? Because it's not the next one that I'm about to start. Because the next one I'm about to start is about the new holding grouping company uh, that's going to be set up by Renault and Geely to basically have a grouping of engine manufacturing uh, all around the world. So this includes uh, plants in China, this includes plants in France, uh, this includes plants all over the place. The one place it doesn't include any plants because neither of those companies manufacture engines here are ready because that's all it is, is a grouping of already existing factories and, and spaces, is the UK. Oh, but we were told, Alan, we were told yeah. by many, many politicians about how we were get, having uh, 7 billion euros invested in the UK. Yeah, no, the 7 billion euros are being invested, yes. Uh, but the UK is essentially getting an office and a brass plaque. Oh. I mean, we noticed all the investment that came whenever Fiat Chrysler automotive was listed in london uh, based in london and and that was a, a big deal and we know we can see all the the fiat and chrysler plants uh, all across the uk <laughs> that came along with that investment in that brass plaque 
these engines are going to go into um, Volvo, Nissan, Mitsubishi's, possibly possibly Nissan's, um, Mitsubishi's into Renault's, Dacia's, whatever else. The holding company's got this very strange name. It keeps being referred to as Horse, which I'm sure sounds better in some language. I'm not sure it's English. I'm not sure it's French. And I don't, and I don't know enough about Chinese to know. Uh, yeah, whatever. Lots of noise from politicians. Lots and lots of noise from politicians about this and all the, these billions of pounds. But it's not going to happen. If it comes through the UK, it's only ever going to come through the UK on paper. Yeah, we first talked about this in November last year, and then we talked about it again earlier this year with the uh, when they opened up to mm-hmm. Aramco and said, "Please come join us, but bring some cash." And this is all about creating uh, low emission petrol, diesel, and hybrid engines uh, because vast swathes of the world will still be using these engines, whereas Western Europe, <clears throat> including the UK, and China as well will do this, and Japan will move towards this at some point. Uh, we're phasing out internal combustion engines and their derivatives. It makes sense that they have pulled their resources together, particularly as Nissan is talking less to Renault. So Renault needs a new partner. Yeah, needs a new buddy because you can only really survive these days unless you're in some volume. Uh, if if you can buddy up with someone. There's also a link in the show notes to a Twitter thread by Edwin Hayward as well. It's worth reading. Yeah. Whether you agree with this politics or not, it's worth reading because it's not really political. It's just... It's fact-checking. Yes, it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, lots of Renault this week, Andrew. Yes, sticking with Renault. Whilst that big hoo-ha about how much investment they were making into the UK that turns out not to be, they were quietly cutting some of their dealerships. They're going to shrink their 144 sites down by roughly 20%. And don't forget that Renault includes Dacia and Alpine uh, as well in all this. So they're going to cut by about 20% by the end of 2025. Uh, They want to reduce the number of partners that they are dealing with. And I'm using a quote here from the AM Online article, securing profitability for the dealerships which remain. I mean, I don't like the sound of this. The reason being that for me, Renault dealership means Arnold Clark because I'm Scottish. <laughs> and it would basically every, almost every Renault dealership in, in Scotland is, is Arnold Clark. And I'm sure someone will ping in to tell me that there's one or two that aren't. But reducing the number of partnerships seems to mean cutting the little ones. Yeah. In no, my mind. That's what it'll be. But the thing is, they are sticking with a dealership model. Mm. They are not going to agency, whereas that seems to be the latest fad for every other car manufacturer. Yes, I know that many other brands were going, right, no, 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 you're not going to be a dealership anymore. You you now just get a fixed fee for every vehicle you sell. I'm um, moving to that agency. Look, uh, uh, Luca DeMeo, Renault's uh, global boss, fears that giving dealers a small fixed margin while the OEM controls the price is risky. What they're going to cut down is from 54 to 46 partners, mm. and they believe that 96% of current owners will be within 45-minute drive of a sales site. Therefore, the impact on the public will be minimal, apparently. Right. Okie doke. <laughs> People will just go to whatever is local, won't they? That's what but, always yeah, happens. That is, that is pretty much what happens, yeah. You've got to really want a Renault 
if you're going for something new. To keep it serviced is one thing, but to get a new one. Do you want to stick with the Rebel Alliance? Because it seems to be a Rebel Alliance episode, almost. Well, it makes up for some of the times when it's Volkswagen heavy, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, Nissan is going to invest around 100 billion yen or 646 million euros in Renault's new electric car division, Ampere. Those are good numbers. They are big sounding numbers. They're also a stake of less than 10%, which is much, much less than anyone assumed that they would put in. I mean, we've all known, I think, uh, those of you who are regular listeners will have known that Nissan was never going to invest that much in this. But they they both said they would when the Mm. announcement came out in February. They both said it would be up to 15%. Yes, well, it is. Well, yes, technically they have not lied. However, it is significantly south of that. I love the line. Mitsubishi is also considering a stake in Ampere. However, nothing more is known about this as yet, according to this uh, Electrive article. Does that not just seem to be Mitsubishi's whole existence in this partnership or in the uh, Rebel Alliance? We might do something, but nobody really knows about it. It is little... So we talked the other week about a chap getting ousted from Nissan for not wanting close ties with Renault. Or one of the possible reasons was. One of the possible reasons, pardon me, yes, you're quite right, was not wanting close ties with Renault. And this seems to be exactly that. So you can't imagine how little a tie with Renault he actually wanted. It's way less than expected. Supposedly a major part of this is Nissan are worried that they're going to be losing intellectual property in any sort of deal like this, um, which is quite an unusual one because that's something that can be contracted around. But Nissan has been scared of this for years and years. This was one of the fundamental reasons hmm. why they hated the partnership with Renault at all. And then when it was announced it was going to basically be the Renault group with Nissan part of it mm. that um, Gone was going to do because they, they needed the help, that they cooked up the farcical story that will be made into a proper movie at some point, uh, the farcical yeah. Hollywood movie that turned out to be the involving politicians and police, apparently, that um, ended up with him having to leave the country in a musical box. Yes. A musical box makes it sound different. It's just like you open the thing and he stands there like a like a ballerina spinning round on one foot. Just winding the handle and it up yeah. pops and he spins round and round. Uh, uh, <laughs> has it been a long day already, Andrew? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think we've just about killed that story, much like Nissan has just about killed its investment in, in, uh, in Ampere. Yeah, I will stick with Nissan, though. And this is the news that they are recalling 1.4 million vehicles globally for unintentional acceleration. Plus, there is another issue, but I'll get to that in a minute. The Nissan Note, Kicks, Serena and Leaf all suffer from potential uh, unintentional acceleration. And the Note Aura, which is Japanese only, has a headlight issue. Right. And now we need to make it clear there have been no reported injuries from this potential problem so nissan appears to be well there's been no accidents even Hmm. so it appears that nissan is getting ahead of the game here yeah and dealing with the issue supposedly it's happening when you switch the cruise control off then a shorts a component short circuits and uh, the vehicle continues to surge forward oh that might get your attention yes i imagine it would 
Yeah. Oh, oh, pardon me. And there's also a short circuit that can cause motors to stop while driving. Uh, now, that would be quite well, frustrating. Quite bad. Can I just say something about the Nissan Leaf? And I'll say it because it's illustrated here. I, I don't know about in Europe, but the, the latest version here in the US has the most horrible wheels. Are you looking at the Jalopnik? Article? I'm looking at the Jalopnik one because I noticed these the other week on one outside a Nissan dealership. And they are about a thousand tiny little spokes. And they so it's look. It's a cheese grater, isn't it? Yeah. I just don't know how on earth you're meant to keep them clean. You take it to the local car wash and say, please clean that with a jet wash. No, they, they don't do that here. You don't, have, you don't have car washes like that. It's only ever really the kind that you drive through. Oh, right. Okay. There are, jet, there are some jet washes as well, but really it's the kind of drags you through and it does the whole thing while someone comes out of the back seat and murders you. Well, then you have to put it forward for someone to use on a detailing YouTube channel to yes, show I how know. to get these wheels clean. <laughs> I mean, like in two weeks' time, I think my car will be ready and for that. And then you just have to move from channel to channel to channel. <laughs> just keep moving it, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's enough to drive a detail and not so. Anyway, that's completely irrelevant. So this covers the US, Europe, and Japan, including the uh, including UK as well in the Europe one, um, mm. just for anyone's curious. I haven't seen it reported in the UK yet. Nissan are still trying to work out what they need to say, how they need to say it, and who to contact. It may be, of course, that, oh no, because it's Japan as well, that it's only a left-hand drive component that causes it, but that's not the case. Uh, really, the only one that's actually sold in the UK is the Leaf, isn't it? The Note used to be, though. True, true, but not very many. Well, a surprising number, actually. Okay. So it depends but, where you are in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Enough of... Nissan, Renault, the Rebel Alliance, and all its constituent parts. Let's go back to an old friend, Alan, in Volkswagen. Oh, sorry. Did I make that sound out loud? I'm afraid so. Oh, dear. What a shame. Volkswagen. The roof is on fire. The roof is on fire. Surely there's a song there. What we're going to do... (laughs) There's the wheels on fire. So what we're going to do is we're going to rearrange the bishops. We're not going to rearrange the pawns yet. That'll come shortly. Yeah, that involves talking to the unions, though. Yeah, that does involve talking to the unions, and that's why you don't really do that in Germany very much. They're moving all the, the managers around, uh, as usual. I could go through and tell you who's being moved to where, from where, but it wouldn't really have much relevance to you, and it would involve quite a lot of trying to pronounce uh, the names of middle-aged German men. Check out the show notes, because I've written most of it down. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so, and there's a link to the Electrive article that this yep. has come from. But yes, the, the, they, they're rearranging people, a group strategy and group strategy product. People are being moved around and general secretaries and all sorts of stuff. And I really can't be bothered going into it. But, well, it, there's, there's two ways to look at it. This is either Nero fiddling while Rome burns, literally, according to the CEO's latest talk to the team, or he is clearing out everything that he feels is wrong that is associated with dice and the dice regime that's true so the, the, i mean this could work but it does just seem to be the same people moving around rather than uh, a, a clean sweep and it, yeah it, as ever it is only internal yeah. appointments they cannot grasp that the, they need external eyes on things and help but it's people who are appointed. So like Michael Newmeyer, we, we, we covered that at the time, the head of group quality. He only got that job in December 2022. What the heck was he expected to have done that time? But then he's going to retire in September. Yeah, that one seems... You know, the, there's lots of stuff like that. It's people who have only just been put into positions are being taken out of them again. 
Yeah. It's just ridiculous. That's nothing to do with the fact that the current Volkswagen EV product line was rushed into production so that they had something to counter Dieselgate with. It's brought out acceptable but slightly mediocre products, especially under the Volkswagen brand badging. Mm-hmm. Nothing, practically nothing under Audi badging, unless it's a rebadged Porsche. Yep. And it's just the Volkswagen offerings were grossly overshadowed by the Skoda offerings and the Seat offerings, which were much better. With the same platforms. With the same platforms, but they had more time to do it properly. They're still hampered with the same problem, which is the software. But the thing is, what, what they've they done... And that's, right. again, and that's because it was all rushed through. So I don't understand how... As I say, moving the bishops around helps to solve that. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't because the, the added on top of all that, where they, they went, hang on, we have to do 180 degrees effectively in our business, and now we have to be EV people. They decided that they would go full in on being autonomous vehicles, which has not, uh, not brought anything up, although they've started testing again. People you know, know our thoughts. They had, the, they had the best opportunity in the entire industry with uh, IGO AI. Yeah. Um, uh, Argo AI, sorry, not Iger. Argo AI, that were the closest of anybody, but they were mm. still not going to succeed because of the manner they were doing it. But that's a different matter. And they then decided with Hubris, we can do all the software as well. Mm. I mean, there's that video of the Ford CEO going around explaining why software is hard, and yeah. that was trying to solve it. But they gave themselves an insane timetable. Mm-hmm. Because they desperately needed to fix things, and they because they'd let it get to the state it was. They're not alone in the industry. I'm not. I'm not having to go. But they were more exposed because they had the Dieselgate issues mm-hmm. and had to be seen to be doing yeah. something. And they had to be seen. The management had to be seen to be doing something very good to the shareholders, which was the important thing. Otherwise, they'd lose the job. They'd lose the faith in the uh, the company, and the share prices would dive. I still don't understand how shuffling people around solves much of that i mean you're, you're not wrong it doesn't it doesn't in any way uh, and this is a it, at some point someone will realize that this is a problem that vw have <laughs> but i mean good luck to everybody that's going into those positions i'm not attacking these individuals i am attacking the system and the hubrisness of the entire group they will no doubt boost your pension in a positive manner well done go to you <laughs> enough of volkswagen enough of the rebel alliance i'm going to take us to paris Oh, that's much better. Only in a very small car, (laughs) or maybe not a car at all. Paris is due to charge vehicles that are of a certain size, weight, and they will base the parking levy on the motor that it uses. None of these details we have actually yet. By the way, that that is as specific as it gets, folks. (laughs) Okay, it's not that Andrew's missing out vital numbers here. That's it. That's all we know. Yeah, this was voted in unanimously last month by the Paris councillors that basically they are going to charge uh, on weight and size of vehicles for parking in Paris. That basically everybody has read as SUVs are going to pay more Mm. um, because there's a... um, uh, Which, to a degree, is correct as long as it isn't an electric vehicle and you don't have a large family. It's the old, what's the definition of an SUV? Yes. But I mean, think, have, using the weight helps. Yeah, well, using the weight helps. Because this is a Nissan Duke and SUV. Well, it's no bigger than a micro, really. Yeah, the weight and size, that, that makes a difference. Um, it, I think people have just conveniently gone 
it's an SUV. Hmm. Uh, I think there's, there's people who have, shall we say, very large German saloons are going to be in trouble. Yes. Now, let's just put this into a little bit of context, because everyone is jumping up and down and going, oh, all SUVs are evil, there is no need for them in the hmm. city, that's disgusting, which to a degree is correct. They only make up 15% of all the traffic in Paris. If you are in the middle of Paris, what's actually quite notable is the number of things that aren't SUVs, and the number of things that are Renault Clio, <laughs> Peugeot 208s, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a point, there's a, a spokesman for the driver defense group, 40 millions d'automobilistes, a chap called Pierre Chasseret, which is a fantastic name, uh, has said that a number of SUVs is written because larger families are buying them to replace their people carriers. Which is a good point. There are no espas anymore. He says they are family vehicles used for going away at weekends or on holiday. We're pandering to a tiny minority of the very urban population who have decided to make the SUV the symbol of the battle against pollution, Chasseret told Le Parisien. Uh, it's worth mentioning, by the way, that Lyon uh, has also announced that they'll be giving, it'll be making higher parking charges uh, based on vehicle weight next year, and Grenoble is expected to introduce a similar scheme as well. Yep. Right, I think that brings us to the end of the first part, because I don't think I could talk about Nissan anymore. No, I know. It's just a bit depressing and anger-making, to be perfectly honest. But this is Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thanks very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. And I realise I read out the thanks very much bit there in a very matter-of-fact voice as if I didn't actually mean it, and I do, so thank you. Yes, we do appreciate it. New new car news, Alan? Yes, well, there's uh, lots, of, lots of sporty stuff has been unveiled, obviously, because it was Goodwood Festival of Rain at the weekend there. First up, new Aston Martin Valor. I'm not Valour, as Americans seem to be trying to pronounce it. There's a U in there. 705 brake horsepower for a V12 with a manual gearbox. Everybody get excited. It will cost over a million pounds. It is similar to the one off Victor. It, it, it echoes, it just sounds terrible, it echoes the 1970s at Aston Martins, uh, which is quite true because if you look at the. I commented on social media, I think every time I look at it, it reminds me of a Ford Mustang. I can see why you said that. And I, at the latest Mustang. And, and I don't think that that's unreasonable. And it's not, by the way, a criticism at all. And then someone pointed out to me that, well, that's because they're looking back, harking back to the, the Aston Martin V8. And that did look a bit like the Mustang of the time, which both the Mustang and the Aston. So it's, it, it kind of, it does make a lot of sense. And whenever you look at the rear, you can really see the, the sort of ducktail on the, is on the back and the sort of horizontal well, the lining. EV6. No, the Aston They'd Martin. The v I'm just ignoring him. I'm just ignoring him. The Aston Martin V8 and V8 Vantage and stuff. So I, I think it's. I love the color. Making louvers cool again for the back windows. Aston keeps using this type of wheel, and whilst it is very impressive, I really don't like it. I think it looks great. I wouldn't buy a car with those wheels because you know, as you were saying about the 
the Nissan version, it would be hell to clean. Yeah, but on the other hand, you're not going to be taking these down to. Yeah, you're not. Yes, uh, you're going the to be employed. Who buy the 110 ep- examples will not be taking them to the shops. No. It, well, it's not so much that they won't be taking them to the shops. I bet they will be taking them to the shops at some point. But I bet you they will probably employ someone to clean it. Yes. I would imagine. I mean, they may well a do it A professional themselves. person will arrive and make them very shiny. Yes. As you said, there'll be 110 examples of the Valor. It'll be somewhere between 1 million to 1.5 million pounds, uh, and each buyer will be invited to customise their car through Aston Martin's Q bespoke service. Uh, so for a bit more, I'm sure. This is a bespoke body structure, supposedly, but, but it's thought to be derived from the V12 Vantage. People being positive about it. One car that was unveiled at the weekend, though, uh, that people are being less positive about, and I don't really know why they're being less positive about it, is the Caterham Project... I don't know, is it Project 5 or Project V? Uh, I was going with V. Right. Um, but yes, this is a surprisingly three-seater uh, small coupe, which I think looks fantastic, particularly in the green they've picked, mm. uh, and is a bold move, I think is the way to put it, for Caterham, but is uh, a way in which they are looking to ensure their future is guaranteed, mm-hmm. um, that they are entering basically more mainstream vehicles. Uh, it, I think what you need to do is think along the lines of the Cayman in terms mm-hmm. of size, uh, although it is acknowledged by the designer, Jaranelli, uh, that it is slightly wider, slightly longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, Sorry, no, it's a, it's a little bit lower, a little wider, and about the same length is the quote in the Evo article that we have linked in the show notes i i think it looks great the inside is quite simple yet looks like it has everything one would need uh, mm-hmm. particularly as we we like the uh, as minimal interiors are the focus at the moment and that's what you want from a, a sports car i think so i think it has good production oh it's an ev as well by the way Sorry, thank you I don't oh think yeah i said that no i think we forgot that bit um but it, no but it's uh, having Having a simple interior, if it's nicely trimmed, like this one seems to be, and there don't seem to be any photos in the... Oh, there are. There's, a link, the, there's um, a link to 17 photos in the gallery. Yeah. 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 It makes it much easier because interiors are hard when it comes to car. Like, interiors and doors are the nightmare areas for small manufacturers. It's worth remembering that Caterham was partnered with Alpine um, for quite a long way into the A110 project. That project was meant to spawn two cars. One, mm. the Alpine A110, which obviously it did, and the other one was meant to be a Caterham, but Caterham pulled out. So I, I imagine there's there's still quite a few lessons learned that have been built into built into this. Yeah, this was um, one design out of five that the Caterham asked for a, a fresh piece of paper design to be done for a bespoke, you know, for a, a fresh car for the for the brand, uh, and Jaranelli uh, won that um, competition. Mm-hmm. They reckon that they'll be priced at less than 80 grand. It weighs just about 1190 kilos, which is, um, according to this Evo article, just a passenger more than an ice powered Alpine A110. Mm-hmm. There is a single 268 brake horsepower electric motor powering the rear wheels. It'll do 0 to 62 in a respectable 4.5 seconds. So it's not going to be beyond the realms of capability of. So many drivers, many mm. drivers, but not so many drivers. And it will hit a top speed of 143 miles an hour, apparently. 
because it doesn't weigh so much, they didn't need a as huge a battery. So this is a 55 kilowatt yeah. per hour capacity, 249 miles of range, and they reckon conditions allowing, mm-hmm. new caveat we have to put in place, yeah, exactly. 20 to 80% top up takes just 15 minutes when using, an 100 and, using a 150 kilowatt rapid charger. Awesome. I like it a lot. I yeah. really do like, I like the look. I think it is such a lovely, clean look. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, we, two things we haven't mentioned. Uh, it's expected to arrive by 2026, so they won't be on the streets in the next week or two, but with a starting price of less than £80,000. Right, do you want to take us to South Korea, though? Uh, well, yes, via Goodwood, once again. Hyundai Ioniq 5, a car that I like possibly more than you like. Mm, I like it a lot. Yeah, uh, but they've announced, finally, uh, the Ioniq 5N. So obviously the the N division tuned version uh, available in performance blue um, with red bits, which looks a little bit incongruous on a car that is basically the size of my living room. That said, uh, to power it forwards, hopefully forwards, uh, six hundred and forty one brake horsepower from it, meaning a naught to sixty time of something ridiculous, uh, three point four seconds. And a top speed of 161 miles an hour, although exactly why you would want to do that, I don't know. Most of the time, you get a mere combined 600 horsepower from the front and rear motors. Well, there's no point then if it's only 600. Exactly. Well, no, the extra 41 you get from a driver-activated N-Grin Boost function. Yes, I did say Grin Boost. Um, So you can get that extra 41 brake horsepower for for 10 second bursts, you know, for whenever you need to overtake that slow car, because your 600 horsepower isn't enough. With instant response. Yeah. And that 0 to 62 miles an hour in 3.4 seconds is with launching control engaged. You and I... Discussed. I mean, there's lots of stuff. It's it's heavy. It's just over two tons. We don't know. Uh, Some of the details are a bit scant. Like we don't know what the range will be. Hmm. We don't know what the weight will be. Although the existing is just over two tons, and this has been stiffened. This has got a bigger battery. There's uh, lots of things have happened. There's been a lot of engineering. So this isn't just a a, 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 an Ionic Five that they've slapped a lovely blue paint on some red strips and an M badge. They have done, they have basically taken the model and stripped it back to re-engineer it like they did with the I30, like they did with the I20, because the bloke in charge is very good at doing this stuff. Yes. It's a bit of a strange one. I think the Ionic 6N will make more sense. Yes. Anyway, Sticking with Hyundai, uh, we can move on to the new Santa Fe, which got revealed late last night. So this is almost breaking news. Sorry, is is this the new Santa Fe or is this the next generation uh, Discovery? (laughs) Well, it's not got an offset license plate, so uh, it has to be the Santa Fe. Oh, good. Yes. Well spotted. (laughs) Uh, This is a really radical compared to what the previous one was in terms of external design. It is a very much gone down the boxy line of things, quite literally lines. Boxy line, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't intentional. Um, I saw someone comment on Twitter or maybe it was Mastodon, I can't remember, but on social media saying how boxy is the new signal for luxury SUV. 
Yes. And if you've if you've got lots of straight lines, that shows that it's a luxury vehicle as opposed to curves. Which no, I see where I, they're coming from there. <laughs> I, I, when, I you, don't... when when someone says that, and you look at all the models that are trying to be or claim yeah. they are luxury, and you sort of go, "Oh yeah, okay, right, yeah, I get that." Um, but this is a bigger than the well in the pictures. It looks like it's bigger than the existing. They are aiming very much upmarket with this. The interior looks um, really nice and again minimalist. They've taken the screens from the Ionic range. Uh, and put those in so it is that nice continuous screen all the way across from just to the one side of the driver all the way through to the center console i can't tell from the pictures and i've had a look at the high-res versions from hyundai themselves or hyundai sorry themselves whether they are buttons or whether it is areas that you are to press on a touchscreen that look like buttons for the interior but there are some knobs on there as well I'm intrigued to see this because this will, whereas the Kia 9 is an EV, mm-hmm. and as we have repeatedly said, which I noticed other people have started to say, mm-hmm. again, following in our wake, the Kia 9 is priced, what if you just went on the Kia brand as a significant price? Yes. But because it's electric, it changes the rules. Mm-hmm. It does. This, I think, is not going to be. You know, we, we can no longer, we couldn't with the previous model or the model before that, but it really does remove the South Korean cars are a budget car because the interior fit and finish, the exterior, the quality of the engineering, the quality of the, the product is so good as well that they are really kicking premium car companies. And, uh, for, they are. and it is only badge snobbery that prevents others from trying it. At the minute, the Santa Fe, the 2023 Santa Fe, which is still slightly curvy, is about 10 inches shorter than the Palisade. So the Palisade is the big seven-seater, and the Santa Fe is going to be the smaller seven-seater. So I was trying to work out, just looking at it, if it was going to be bigger or smaller than the Palisade. The Palisade is very big. Mm. If it's shorter than that, that, that means it is, it is European size. Yeah. Um, well, it's, yes, kind of European size. I like the design. Uh, I like little touches like the front headlights when it's LEDs. They, they looks like an H mm-hmm. on on the front headlights. Whether I mean, I presume that's intentional. So I, I think that's a nice little touch. Uh, I commented earlier when I was just chatting with Alan about I'm not convinced by the wheel arches. But then I said to I said if if it was a different color or black uh, cladding or plastic, then I go, it's cladding, it's brilliant. So uh, it's just a colour option, I think, is my problem. I think, obviously, this is going to be the highest spec that's shown in the pictures. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it may well be that there's others. I mean, it's... it's, But I, I really love its sort of Disco 3, Disco 4 vibe Yeah, that, that it's got. And I do actually feel that that's what the modern Discovery should be more like and less McGovern'd. Yeah, yes. Because it's look, it's even got the little triangular bit, which on the Disco three and four is is the air intake, just ahead of the front doors. Mm. You know, there's if if there isn't inspiration, I'll be surprised. I, I think the weakest part of the exterior design is the is the very rear of it, and um, that's. Uh, but uh, you supplied a picture of the Sangyong Rodius into our show notes. To, to compare and contrast the fact that the window is quite high and the lights are quite low and in the strip across the back. 
I don't necessarily think that that's wonderfully fair, but I can also see where you're coming from with it. This is, this is a better execution of the same idea. Yes. On many levels. Yes. Yeah. 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 No one has mentioned anything about luxury yachts. One last one, I think. NSU, which is a mostly forgotten small German car brand that got rolled into Audi many, many years ago. Um, but the NSU Prince was a, a small two-door saloon car with the engine in the rear. It's a very, very pretty little thing. It's like a sort of bathtub with a margarine pot on top of it. Um, I, I, I've, I've always, You're selling it. You're selling I have it. always thought it was a pretty little car, to be perfectly honest. So much glass. Well, yeah, exactly. To celebrate uh, the 150th anniversary of Audi's Neckersum plant, which used to, which was an NSU plant, they brought out this this EP4, which their apprentices designed and built, and it's got an e-tron derived powertrain. It has, and a very much a race car look to it. It's got wide arches. It's got a little sort of front chin spoiler and air intakes and and a, and a spoiler on the back. I think it looks fantastic. Yes. I really, really like it. It would be, if they could make it safe, enough to pass enough of the end caps mm-hmm. and whatever they've decided to add to it this time. It would make a brilliant small EV, uh, with obviously with a compromised range because it's a small car, but I think that would be a brilliant thing to bring in because it looks like nothing else on the roads at the moment. Uh-huh. It's got a 236 horsepower electric motor. The battery is mounted at the front under the what used to be the, the fruit uh, the, the, uh, at the front. The, what makes me laugh about this is that that 236 brake horsepower engine is 207 brake horsepower, more powerful than the Prince's original two-cylinder petrol engine. <laughs> Lots of bits and pieces on the underneath are from the A1. I just think it's really cool, really fun. Yeah, I just wish it was easier for people to get hold of these kind of things. Yep. Yeah. Very cool indeed. Well done. Nice work by the Audi apprentices. Points of interest now, Andrew. Yeah, it's going to be a lunchtime watch this week. And this is coming from the uh, Capturing the Machine YouTube channel. We have uh, linked to its creator before. Uh, when we were discussing the famous photographer, uh, f- photograph of the Brooklands with the car off all four wheels. Mm-hmm. But this time he has fallen down another rabbit hole and it is all about the car you've probably never heard of, the Toyota Harrier Zagato. <laughs> and in fact, there was two versions. Mm. Um, you've just given away the twist now. There was a second generation. Well, it's not so much a twist. I mean, the whole, the whole story's fascinating yes considering the considering what you discover as you listen through uh, and about how people have remembered it or not mm-hmm. so do click the link in the show notes it's just under 12 minutes and you get to find out about a car like i say you probably had no idea existed anyway kevin mccauley does a great dive into this and the history behind it and all sorts of other stuff really good youtube channel really really interesting yeah. um he's a he's also a well, he's mostly a fantastic uh, automotive photographer. Yeah. Uh, and gets, seems to get distracted by these things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is great. It's absolutely cracking. List of the week this week is from Top Gear. Uh, it's by Peter Rawlins. And it's eight of the best three-seater sports cars. And Andrew, this week you get to choose. I do get to choose. 
I mean, people can probably guess quite a percentage of this list. Yes. Uh, I, yeah, I, I expect so. I expect so. But there was, um, there isn't the Caterham that we discussed earlier. No. Uh, which would I'm sure it, need to get on the road before they can add it. I'm, well, not necessarily, but I'm, I'm sure that that's what inspired the list. Uh, so for me, and there are many good cars on there, and then there's obviously a poor car on there, uh, but the the one for me is because I'd never knew that it existed. The Ferrari three six five P Berlinetta Speciale. Okay, I did not ex- I did not know that that existed either. So it looks like it's a Dino that they've put buttresses on. Yes, and extended the back end. And I love the fact it's got buttresses. Yes. Well. Yes, it's just very strange. I mean, the description here is uh, tre posti, meaning meaning three-seater in Italian. It was conceived by Sergio Pininfarina and based on design by Aldo Provarone, who would later design the Dino, uh, unveiled at the Paris Show 66. Underneath it was a 4.4-litre V12 mechanics taken from the 365P2. Head of Fiat Gianni Agnelli was said to have loved it so much he ordered another one built with only two ever created, and the first, a white-coloured 365, was as recently as 2014 put up for auction, where it would bid to $23 million, was rejected. I love that it's got a V12 in something that yes. looks so small. It does. It looks tiny and also kind of dangerous. Yes. Yes. Uh, now now I know that. Not the one that I would have chosen there, to be honest. Yeah, well, you were expecting it to have a 2.6 V6 or something. Yeah. Somebody's going to go, Alan doesn't know the capacities of Ferraris, and you're right, I don't. But do click the link in the show notes because there's many others for you to have a look at. Yes, uh, yes. There are some good options. I like the way that it worked out that I didn't get it because it was obvious which one I would choose. It's just the way it fell. This so, week, I know actually. it was just the way Not it fell. Yeah, for a change. <laughs> and finally, this week, it's from BBC News, and it is the man turning potholes into works of art. Tim Webb from Orpington in southeast London has come up with a novel way of getting Bromley Council to acknowledge potholes in his area by filling them with rubber ducks. Uh, Mr. Webb said his antics have gone down well on social media. A spokesman of the council said harsh winter conditions meant the problem number of potholes had gone up and was investing more money in solving the problem, including by hiring an additional contractor to help with the repairs. So really, ducking and diving with the blows there. But yes, yes uh, so there is a yes, there is a 1 minute 21 video uh, of, uh, of, of Mr. Webb and his rubber ducks. It's not just rubber ducks, And though. the potholes of Orpington. It's not just rubber ducks, though, because there's a dry one that he makes out as a moonscape. That's this. If you watch this the video. Also is, was, is true. Yes, it's the moon landing. It's a bit similar to that one that we uh, linked to in Wales, where the locals said, "This, if if you go down this road, watch out for the following." Yes, exactly. <laughs> which was which was really rather good. So, uh, trying to use humour and different ways to grab the attention of councils and say, "Come on." Please fix these things. And by the way, councils, we understand you are underfunded. Don't you, if you listen to us long term, you will know we have banged mm-hmm. that drum. It seems that the most popular way to get them to get them fixed quickly, though, is to draw genitalia around them. <laughs> Does seem to catch their eye quite quickly. Anyway, um, rounding up because we've waffled quite a lot this week. No parish notes this week. Uh, we're sorry about the. Uh, <laughs> the intention to live stream Goodwood, by the way. Obviously, that got hampered by Saturday getting cancelled and then subsequently hampered by a slight communications breakdown between two hosts. One of them assuming that because Saturday was cancelled, we wouldn't be doing Sunday either. 
and then not taking stuff with him when he went camping. Oops. Sorry. Next time we'll try this will be revival. Yes. And we'll do it from inside. We'll have it in our calendars well in advance. Well in advance. We and we'll pick <laughs> to do something else those weekends. Yes, exactly. That's me being chastised quite severely there, by the way. No, 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 no. It's just the way it felt. Yeah, it was. However, before that, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way is to search on Twitter or Mastodon for Crack Windscreen, and you should find me there. Alan, if people would like to talk to you about how well your camping went, What's the best way for them to do that personally? Uh, well, you can do that uh, on Twitter or on um, Mastodon, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back very soon, as you've heard. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.